There's a lot of content in today's session, and so it will be necessary for us to move uh, through each piece. We're going to look at optimization testing, and uh, we want to talk about testing and the validity threats associated with testing. Some of you who may be students in our certification programs have had extensive teaching on this. It really is an important topic, and it's important because in so many cases uh, we conduct tests and base decisions on phone data. I see it over and over and over again. I saw it yesterday. I was talking with uh, one of the largest retailers on the Internet, and I saw and suspect that I discovered significant validity threats in the way that the data is being sampled. The danger here is that when I talk about validity and confidence in results, almost everyone thinks immediately about the statistics class that they took in college and the need to understand what can be some complex math regarding probabilities. And Clearly, the sample size is an important part of ascertaining what is valid in terms of your test results. But it's not the only threat. It's not the most common threat. And it's not the one that most people immediately detect when there's a problem in their data. Most of us understand the bell curve and, and, how, and its impact on confidence and and the way we ascribe some level of probability to a to a series of tests. And if you don't, please don't uh, feel insecure. That's information you can learn. We teach it in our programs, and, and, you know, it's something that you can have calculated for you by some of the tools that we generate or, or that you may be able to ascertain somewhere else. You don't have to be a mathematician to do solid, effective, testing. But you do need to understand validity. And if you don't, you are jeopardizing uh, your future decision capacity. And so what I'd like to do is is begin to ask ourselves uh, the question of what do I need to be concerned about when I'm designing my next test? What is the potential danger that can derail me and could, could yield a, a false set of results? Now, I should go on, but there's one more point I want to make for you. It's particularly dangerous to run a test that's invalid. It's particularly dangerous because if you just speculate and you don't test, you probably have less confidence in your decision than if you speculate and run a poor test. And I, I think it's like the person who takes a four-hour self-defense course and rushes into a tough part of town feeling overconfident that they're prepared, they'd be better off having not taken the course at all. And so with that in mind, I'd like to drill down and talk about validity. And we should start immediately with an actual test or case. And so let's look at a new test design. We conducted a seven-day experiment for a large industrial parts company. Their market is predominantly mid-sized and large businesses, and the company's largest volume paid search traffic sources to Google. And our primary goal for this test was to reduce the bounce rate. I remember I, I personally engaged the leadership in this organization as we thought about this test design. And we needed to reduce the bounce rate for the company's home page. They felt like if they could reduce the bounce rate, if they could get more people into the site, they could have an increase in revenue. And so off the same marketing spend, they'd see uh, a greater yield. 
So we put together a smart research team, and uh, one of the research managers was uh, uh, Brad Warkins, and one of the key people who really oversaw everything in this was, uh, uh, we call her Gabby here. I think her name is Anna Gabriella. If I, uh, Gabby, you correct me if I'm wrong, Diaz, but she, yes. she's an FBA, and uh, I think, Gabby, you're from Venezuela originally, is that correct? Correct. And uh, and she works here in our labs and at uh, marketing experiments and out of the Ponte Vedra or Jacksonville Beach offices. And uh, I may ask you some questions from time to time regarding this, Gabby, so if you'll just kind of stand by. Sure. But we, we tested the control against a different page design, and you can kind of see the difference. The controls on your left, treatment one here, and treatment two. Treatment one is a more or less product-oriented page, and treatment two feels like a directory. So if you'll look again closely, you'll see control, treatment one, treatment two. And what I'd like you to do is think about that and ask yourselves as a marketing professional, which one of these pages do you think would produce the highest click-through, the least bounce? So I want you to type in using your uh, Q&A section, if you would, uh, either C or 1 or 2. And I'm going to just kind of watch your numbers come in for just a moment. So I see 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 2, C, 2, 1, 2, 2, 1. It seems about evenly split between the 2s and 1s. Good. 1, 2, 1. Melanie just voted 1. And... Uh, I'm going to step up here for a second, John. See, just to get a sense of what people are thinking. Wanda, you're at two. Yanji, it looks like Yanji, you're at uh, one. David at two. Sam says, why is there no sound? Someone from technical group will help you. Two is Melissa. C is Mike. Uh, Andrew says two. Steve says one. Another Stephen. I, I recognize you, Stephen. You're, you seem to be on every one of these. It's good to have you back. Uh, Stephen Diebold, that's number two. He voted two. Chase, William, Deborah. Okay, let's let's get to results. And then we have Jimmy Ellis, who's a panelist working on our team, and uh, the director of our scientist group, who actually voted, and he put down uh, four. Now he, I'm literally looking at his entry, and I think that you know we have a problem when the director of science is number one can't count. And number two doesn't understand the difference between controls <laughs> and treatments. Uh, Jimmy, I want you to know when I'm delivering a, a tough, a, a tough lecture like this, it's always comforting to have you back there ridiculing me. I just um, figured the higher the treatment, the, the better the results, right? The higher the treatment, the better the results. Now there's logic. Thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy, you probably actually worked on these treatments to some extent with Gabby, didn't you? You got that, it. Okay, so you can help us also. Um, what I want you to do now is uh, we're going to just look at some same issue related validation. So after one week, a large enough sample had accumulated to satisfy the test design threshold criteria of at least 5% difference in bounce rate with a, you know, your standard 95% level of confidence. Let's see what we discovered. All right, so here's, here's how the treatments performed. At least this is what it appears to be. The control was at 22.6%. Treatment one was at 20.2%. Treatment two was at 12.9%. Jimmy, I'm going to think that you did treatment two and Gabby probably did treatment one because obviously <laughs> the performance. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, stay in that now. I know where you're going with this. This is getting me in trouble right here. <laughs> Apparently, the control is outperforming both, and almost no one put C. But let's let's look deeper. The directory style page yielded a 9% lower bounce rate over the control page and a 75.6% relative reduction. Now, we looked at those results, and, uh, you know, the goal of a test is to is essentially to discover an answer. Now, you, you need to understand that. The goal of a test is not to move the needle or improve ROI. If you think that way, you won't design your test right. If you get the right answer, then the test was successful. The key is not getting the right answer. The key is asking the right question. Most of us don't ask the right question, and I would say 85%, if not 90% of the tests I see are not asking the right question. It's particularly rampant in multivariable testing, by the way. But even in single factorial design, the A and B split test, the right question is not being asked. So let's just look at this. Using the outcome of, you know, validated test, it might have been natural to stop gathering data for the test and commence with implementation of treatment to and or follow-on research. However, while post-test analysis and planning continued, we kept the test running for an additional week. Now, notice this. After a second week, before closing out the test, we extracted a fresh set of reports expecting further confirmation of the prior outcome. What we found instead was quite different. Let's look at the new table. Now, this is different. Treatment 1 is at 19.7. Treatment 2 is at 20.7. The difference between the control and treatment 2 is a... That doesn't look like the right difference between control and treatment 2 to me. I'm looking at my own chart. Uh, well, I it's, uh, it's Bob. Yes, Bob, go ahead. And uh, and I'm sorry, the uh, the title may not be clear. It's um, there's a difference uh, in treatment two between week week one and week two uh, okay. because it's a, it's a time. All right. All right. So I'm looking at the table, and I I thought that I had caught Bob, who is oversees all of this, uh, had made a mistake. But clearly, Bob never makes mistakes. <laughs> there, there are many opportunities to come. <laughs> anyway, it's it's. The difference you see in red is the difference between the prior table and this table. And what you need to understand is pretty clear below there. In week two, the control and treatment one pages performed much as they had in week one, but the treatment two page bounce rate soared to 20.7%, exceeding both other pages. The relative increase in bounce rate from week one to week two is nearly 38%. Now, that's wrong. Something's wrong. Gabby, what was going through your mind when you got back these test results? Well, it, it clearly was a, a big difference, and uh, the first things, I mean, we look at many different variables, but um, one of the things that you will, and actually everybody will see at the end of the brief, it's related to the traffic and the relevance of the traffic that was going to to all the treatments. All right, well, let's let's look at that then, all right? So since... Only the radical redesign treatment was significantly impacted. And you may have, if you've taken our certification classes, you know that we uh, we advocate something called a radical redesign, and you do it with what we call a variable cluster. But that's when you change many elements at once. 
where you drill down and test single elements, which is what we're taught we're supposed to do. Actually, you should be doing that only in certain cases. But since only the radical redesign treatment was significantly impacted, our first thought was that many returning visitors who were accustomed to seeing the familiar control page may have bounced by clicking back to the search results page to, you know, to verify or by manually entering the URL. In other words, we thought that we might have an issue with the returning visitors, people who are already familiar with the site. So to test this hypothesis, we extracted performance data separately for new and for returning visitors. Now, that's pretty significant. So uh, I think that's clear to everyone. If you have a question about that, you go ahead and fire your question into us right now. I'm watching to see if, if we're being clear. Let's look at what we discovered when we broke out the kinds of traffic. So go ahead. When the returning visitors are filtered out and only new visitors are included, the results are similar. The bounce rate for the control page changed only by 2.4%, but the bounce rate for treatment 2 soared from 135 to 24%. The relative increase in bounce rate from week 1 to week 2 was nearly 79%. Now, I think we're being clear. It's a little confusing, but do you, do you get the, the basics of what's going on here? We're we're not able to understand why we have this massive differential. So we're drilling down, and one of the questions we ask is, well, is it a difference in the source of traffic? Is it a difference between returning visitors and new visitors? And so we continued uh, to, to test. Jimmy, you want to make a comment on on what you were thinking at this point, you, either you or Gabby? I, I'm not sure. I know you're the head of sciences, and I... No, you oversaw this experiment, but do you recall what was happening at this point? Um, well, in terms of those pages, you know, it's just trying to run the highest quality tests that we can run, uh, which is, you know, can we separate new from returning? Can we standardize the quality of the traffic coming to the pages and get better, more statistically significant results? Um, so in terms of, you know, in terms of bounce rate, what we're seeing is things are pretty even across the new ones. Uh, the returning was significantly different and then just trying to discover what the differences were and why. And it's just, you know, it's just continued research, but, you know, what we learned about testing is uh, you have to do a, a really, really thorough job to make sure that the numbers that you're seeing will, will actually stand the test of time if you were to implement them on your site. So how did we resolve all this? What are we doing? I mean, we're right now testing to understand the issue. The, the big problem is trying to make certain that the results we're getting are valid. Gabby, what was the, you know, where did all this go in the end, or where is it all going now? Because uh, I know you've been overseeing this set of experiments. Definitely. I mean, uh, it's important to you also um, and remark that uh, nothing in the pages changed. I mean, both all the treatments stay exactly the same, and, and we maintain the same source of traffic, but we saw fluctuations in, in traffic between week one and week two. And what we further kept, I mean, we kept testing uh, the treatment that won in, in the first week against a couple of changes then and further um, uh, with additional changes and then uh, actually found a, a much stable bounce rate uh, with uh, the winner style but with a couple of changes. With which style? With which style? The directory style. The directory style. Yeah. And so, um, all right, so 
Before I go further with Gabby, if you're online, you're saying, okay, so how does this relate to me and what is this about? I'll tell you what it's really going to come down to is what could have caused the swing or the reversal? Since this was a significant and an unexpected change, we began, you know, pretty significant forensics here to understand what might be mitigating the data. In doing so, we had to consider four primary threats, and I want you to understand those threats. Now, listen, this slide is worth the time you're spending right now. You need to understand what I'm showing you at this present moment because it, it, it nails down some of the most common errors I've discovered that uh, are occurring as we try to accomplish tests on the Internet. We're going to look at them, and as we look at them, I, I, I want to teach you about those, but I, I just want to make a point to you, and that is that when the Internet was first launched, hardly anyone took advantage of its capabilities. Uh, we didn't understand what we could do and couldn't do, and and so there were lots of poor websites and lots of mistakes, and there's still problems today. As marketers, it became clearer and clearer that this is a perfect medium for testing. I remember talking about it. We were testing way back when almost no one was, and I remember discussing it and we eventually patented the approach to online testing. Or I say, I don't know if we got the patents or applied for the patents and got patent pending and so on. In any event, I've watched it change. And now if you go to a conference, you may know that some of you on the call know that we own Marketing Sherpa also. And when I go to one of our Sherpa conferences, it's amazing to me. Everybody's talking about testing. So we're, you might say we're in phase two of this. But what I'm discovering is we're testing wrong, and we don't even know it. It's amazing to me how dangerous it is out there right now with decisions being thrown around and data being thrown around with a degree of confidence that this doesn't deserve. And here's four reasons why this is occurring. It's four things that you want to protect yourself against. One is history effect. And that's something we formally teach, but it's the effect on a test variable. This is the academic definition by an extraneous variable and associated with a passage of time. And it just means that essentially... The length of your test created uh, a problem, and that is because during the passage of time, something you couldn't control changed. We'll, we'll give you an example coming up. And then there's instrumentation effects. By the way, if you're on this line and you've had certification, would you, uh, and you've been certified in our program, shoot me a Q&A. Let me know who you are so I can see who you are. I, I'd expect you to be an expert. Stephen, you have. Congratulations. You may have... You may have input, friend. I, I, I'm glad that you completed that. Uh, instrumentation, others are coming in. Good. Instrumentation effects. Now, these are the effects on the test variable caused by a variable external to an experiment. It's associated typically with a change in the measurement instrument. We just had this with Google, believe it or not, and Google Analytics. We had a significant instrumentation. We had... <laughs> We had a test that was, I hesitate to say this because we're supposed to be the experts, it was a complete and total disaster as far as I'm concerned. And it was a disaster because Google Analytics, we had to get, we had to work, and Google Analytics is a good program, it's a good product, but uh, we could not get accurate reporting. It was not installed properly, and Google thought it was, and everyone else thought it was, and we had to go through it. And Gina, I think you're on the line. Gina's one of our other analysts. Gina, are you there? I think she's on the line, but she's probably having to 
unmute the line. If you're on, Gina, when you when you get on, just just interrupt me. Anyway, you've got to be careful because the the tool you're measuring with can skew your results. Selection effects. You can see the technical definition. It's the effect on a test variable by an extraneous variable associated with different types of subjects not being evenly distributed in experimental treatments. But the reality is what we're talking about is that you test one category of subject, and that category of subject doesn't actually match the category of subject you're going to be trying to improve or get your result with. It would be, for instance, running a test with pay-per-click traffic or natural search traffic and expecting the conversion you discover with natural search to hold up in a different channel like pay-per-click, they will not be the same. Sampling distortion effects, that's the one we are all familiar with, and it's simply the effect on the test outcome caused by failing to collect a sufficient number of observations. It's, it's not running the test long enough or collecting enough data to get uh, confidence. Now, with those four effects, that you need to be, be aware of uh, in mind. Let's look at some examples and drill down deeper and talk about how to prevent them. I'm aware, now listen, you may be on this audience, you may be a PhD, we, ha we have those kinds of people on these calls, but you may also be a new marketer who's running your first test, probably using third-party software. And if that's the case, I'm gonna try to help you too. I, I'm, I'm not trying to make this, we're not trying to deliver content that's only for a very select few group of experts, I hope this can be actionable for you. And that's why I want to look at some examples, okay? So how do you prevent history effect? You need to ask a question. Did anything happen in the external environment during the test that could significantly influence results? Were there significant industry events, holidays or seasonal factors, company, industry, or news-related events? Those kinds of things can skew all of your results. So let me just let me just take a moment and um, and uh, move to an example. So here's me. And Gina, I see your note. By the way, I know you're online. We're going to keep going for now. But uh, apparently, Gina was online listening, but she wasn't. We hadn't given her authorization uh, to 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 interrupt the lecture mode. So. That's been taken care of, and we may I may come back to you, Gina, uh, if there's an opportunity. In fact, when I talk about that particular effect, I may do so. But look with me at test design. Here we conducted a seven-day experiment for subscription-based sites that provide search and mapping services to a nationwide database of registered sex offenders. <laughs> Looking at the way that's read, the the search and mapping services are not provided to the nationwide database of registered sex offenders. They are not the customer, for those of you who are writers of this particular slide. Um, they are actually uh, the registrants in the database. And the objective here of the entire site is to inform concerned parents and guardians uh, of the location of a sexual offender that may be in your neighborhood. The objective was to determine in this test, by the way, which ad headline would have the highest click-through rate. And we had a real issue here. So here's the problem. You run this test, and you, if you look at the headlines, child predator registry, predators in your area, find child predators, is your child safe? So let's just look at that for a moment, and 
do the vote. I want to hear one, two, three, four from you, if you could. Two from David. Four from Franz. Four, four, Chase, four, three, two, four, 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 two, 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 four, three, four, two. Lots of... There we go. Yep. Brandy at two, three, Eric at three. Okay, I'm seeing more. Good. All right, uh, there's a standout here. We have a Cindy who voted for one. And there's one more, it looks to me, that voted for one. There may be some more. They're still coming in. We're watching and tallying. All right, so here you have the four headlines, and we ran the test. And uh, what I want to do is I, I want you to just skip through the next slide, John, and go to the slide after that. Next slide. There we go. So you should look here, and let's look at what we discovered. Just look at the look at the predator in your area. Click-through rate was 6.7%, pretty high. Child predator registry, 4.4. Find child predators, 4.4. Is your child safe, 2.9. All right? Now, the difference between the first and the last, 133.5%. Uh, so uh, kudos to you who looked at number one. But we do have an issue, and I'd like to show you what that issue is. Back up, John. Here's the problem. During this test period, the nationally syndicated NBC television program Dateline aired a special called To Catch a Predator. Now, we had no idea that was going to happen. It's a good thing we were monitoring for, uh, you know, this kind of history effect because the program was viewed by approximately 10 million individuals and many of them concerned parents. And throughout this program, sex offenders were referred to as predators. This word was used in some but not all the headlines being tested. And what happened? It skewed the results. Go back to the data set, John. In the 48 hours following the Dateline special, there was a dramatic spike in overall click-through to the site. The click-through rates aligned in descending order of the prominence of the word predator. The best-performing ad performed 133% better than the headline without the word predator. Now, think about that for a moment, marketer. It ought to frighten you because among the ways that have been invented by smart mathematicians to to extract money from your pockets. Google ranks right up there behind casinos. Now, I may have Google on the phone, and you know I respect what you've done, and we have, uh, you know, uh, we try to have a friendship with Google. So I, I, I'm not picking on the organization and saying trying to fleece you, but anyone who's ever worked at Google can understand that that the efficiencies of that market are designed to essentially uh, capture the most revenue possible. That's how they serve their shareholders and. There is genius in the design of their system. And if you don't monitor carefully, you can lose money fast. You know the difference between Google and television advertising? Is when you lose money with Google, your metrics can tell you exactly how much you've lost. When you lose money in television advertising, you just have a vague sense that it didn't go well. But both can be bottomless pits. Now, again, my only point is you might have been the marketer who set up this test and then made an important marketing decision about which headline would work and then poured money into a budget based on significant click-through rates of 6.7% and, and appropriately high conversion rates as well, never having known about the Dateline special. And the next thing you know, 
your campaign is skewed out of shape and you are losing money. The bad news is you can't monitor this every day unless that's your sole job. And you can go 30, 60. I've seen, I remember one major uh, retailer of fitness equipment who over a period of 90 days lost enormous amounts of money because he just didn't have the time. You know, he was about a $10 million a year internet group and he, he just didn't have the time to go in and monitor everything and he was counting on some people to do it who did not do it well all right so that's the problem you can have with uh history effects let's look at another all right so now we're talking about instrumentation effects now by the way in a moment i'm going to take questions i'm getting to the point where i'm going to let you fire your questions at me so you got a big team on here, and you may have thoughts about your own tests, and to the extent that we can answer them on this call, we're going to try to. All right, so I am here. I'm looking at, at instrumentation effects, and Gina, uh, we just went through this. I just had a long conversation today about this, and uh, I'm not trying to impugn anyone in the call, but can, and you didn't know I was going to ask you this, I, I understand, but what happened in our implementation of Google Analytics that skewed our numbers in that test that you worked on. Don't reveal the name of the company, Gina, but give us a sense. Oh, can you hear me, Flint? Yes, I can. Okay. Uh, basically, what had happened was the Google Analytics code um, wasn't implemented correctly because it needed to be implemented um, using the subdomain tracking. And um, I actually just got confirmation from the Google Analytics rep today on how that needs to be implemented correctly. Um, but we had several calls going back and forth between the partner, myself, and Google. And essentially, what was it doing? What was the mistake? What what was it causing in terms of error on our part? What did it look like that was wrong? You were um, it, was, it was calculating the bounce rate um, incorrectly. Okay. All right. And we could see that because we could see that because we had another metric in place. Uh, we were also using Omniture tracking. Okay, so now uh, Gina just brings out a point that's vital, and and it's the professional way to approach this. Uh, we had two sets of metrics in place, and and because of those two metrics, someone was able to see that the numbers weren't accurate. And I suggest you always have two metrics uh, reporting uh, systems in place to catch instrumentation errors like this. So. That's instrumentation effects, and thank you, Gina. Uh, and I, I, I know how hard you've worked to get that right, too, and I'm, I'm grateful for your efforts. Let me go on to uh, the instrumentation effects as it relates to test design. Uh, we conducted a multivariable landing page optimization experiment. Now, this is, you know, multivariable testing. Jimmy, I'm going to have you help me with this in just a moment. The goal was to increase conversion by finding the optimal combination of page elements. And uh, the test treatments are rendered by rotating the different values of each of these test variables evenly among arriving visitors. Most of you know the difference between single factorial, which is AB, sometimes ABC, but we're testing essentially one element or one cluster of elements. And then there's multivariable testing where you're testing many things at once. If you look at the next page, uh, I'll show you an example of that. Um, Go forward again. So here's a whole group of elements that are being tested simultaneously. There's six variables set up to rotate, and they're highlighted. 
Now, we had a problem. And, John, let's go back and look at that. We discovered that in the testing software, a fail-safe feature was enabled specifying that if for any reason the test was not running correctly, the page would default back to the control. As such, the testing system would deliver to the browser not only the treatment page and its values, but also those for the control page. And the browser would then render only the page corresponding to the test condition. Now, that's kind of hard to understand. The best way I can explain it is that it added lots of page load time because it was loading many more values or variables or pages than, you know, the control. And I'm going to let Jimmy just comment on that because, Jimmy, you oversaw this, and I remember that you were the one working on it. Do you, you want to give us a kind of an explanation of what was happening? Uh, basically, it's just that the way that the system worked was it would load both variables, but only one would be displayed. So it was all the code was on the page, but you wouldn't necessarily see it. Um, so what happens is to the user, the display of the page is exactly what it should have been, whatever treatment they were looking at, but the actual load time was increased. Now, it wasn't the entire page. It was the element being swapped out in the test. So for depending on which elements were being swapped out, the other variations were also showing up, but you couldn't see them on the page, but if you did a view source, all the code would be there, so the load times were significantly increased. You understand, this was using a professional third-party product, just like many of you on this line might be using. You know, this was using uh, the kind of product that you would hope would be reliable, and I'm not saying they're not a reliable provider. I'm just saying that there was an error, and you might not think that you need to check on these kinds of errors because you're trusting a third party. But the reality is uh, you do. Here's what we discovered. Look at the load time. Now, this is a, you know, we don't need to spend a lot of time wading through this chart, but if you just look at it, what you'll notice is that on a 56K modem, it's an extra 9.56 seconds. And by the way, many of the customer profile that would come to this particular site would be using a, you know, wouldn't be on broadband. It's an extra nine and a half seconds. That's significant, and that will clearly mitigate against uh, conversion, which will, of course, hurt the entire experiment. And, Flint, I can add a little bit to this. Um, yeah. I was recently yeah. looking at Google Analytics for a few different of our partners and comparing the connection speed to conversion rates. And one of the most interesting things that we recently noticed is that uh, that portion of customers that are on dial-up typically yeah. are the highest converting customers that they have if you compare connection speed to conversion. And actually, two of our partners, it was over 10% of their customers were using dial-up, and that was it was over, like, for example, the base conversion was about 1.5% for this one company. The conversion for 56K Internet users was over 2.5%. Um, and for their particular pages, their pages were much larger than these, which could be significantly re reduced. I think their load time for a 56K modem a customer was over two minutes, um, whereas if they just optimized their images and some of their coding to load faster by reducing the size, it would significantly impact that, that customer's user experience. Anyone at 56K, uh, it, so it would just be an instant increase in terms of conversion and orders for their highest quality source of customers. 
That's exactly right. And and why do you think that is? I'm asking my audience, and if you'd like to just take a moment, use your Q&A and talk to me about this. Jimmy's made a keen observation. Why do you think you got higher conversion from the customers on the 56K modem? Would anyone like to think through what that might be? Good, good. I'm seeing some answers coming in. Wayne, I'm going to read yours in a moment. Ryan, John. <laughs> I'm going to have to disagree with Andy. He says they're less educated. I guess you, <laughs> perhaps the product is a bad product, but um, I'm, I'm going to continue. Here's here's some of the things I'm seeing. They're logging on intentionally, learned patience. They were motivated. They don't want to waste time browsing. Uh, they're more innocent. Uh, they don't aimlessly browse. They have no money. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but here's the thing I want to point out for you. If you study the marketing experiments conversion index, the highest, most important variable, we call it M on that formula, C equals 4M plus, and it goes down a long list, is 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 motivation. And typically someone coming into the process with uh, a 56K modem and getting engaged is quite intentional about the process. I think you're dealing with a better qualified uh, prospect. Would you agree with that, Jimmy? Uh, absolutely. No, I mean, the, 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 the customers that are actually getting through and ordering are the guys that will pretty much do anything or wait as long as it takes to order. Yes, yes. And there's one more thing. We need to move on, but I, here's something that will help everyone that's on the line. Uh, Many of us put our, together our treatment, but we haven't really tested it in the appropriate browser combinations. There are sites on the Internet you can go to that will you just plug in your URL, and they will generate for you a report showing that page in 70 or 80 different combinations of browsers and operating systems. Don't underestimate the significance of doing browser compatibility testing. The reality is there are often flaws on your new treatment page that you don't know about. And so, I mean, if 20% of the Internet is not seeing that page right, it's going to skew all your results. We, we typically run a quick browser test right away, and that gives us a sense that we have a page that's, that's displaying cleanly. Now, selection effects uh, are another issue, and um, you need to ask a simple question. Just like we, we had a question that you needed to ask regarding instrumentation and history effects. Here's the question we need to ask regarding selection effects. Did anything happen to the testing environment that may have caused the nature of the incoming traffic to be different from the treatment? Now that's an important question. And I think that if you ask it and monitor things carefully, you may discover that there's been changes in the characteristics of the traffic. You need to make certain your traffic flow is even. I've seen this repeatedly. I used to see this on the small pay-per-click engines back when there were more uh, small pay-per-click engines competing, trying to compete aggressively with what used to be then called uh, go-to as opposed to overture. Um, what happened was they would make a new partnership and get a surge of traffic, which would then translate to click-throughs on the pages of advertisers, but the traffic was absolutely worthless. And so the advertiser would suddenly have, you know, many, many clicks to their page, but really poor conversion. It would panic the advertiser, and they had no idea what was going on. Moreover, most of the time, the smaller pay-per-click engines would uh, conceal what was taking place. 
I actually had to get online with the chief technical officer for one of them with indisputable data and, and call his bluff. Because they had made money on those clicks, and they need that money. But all clicks are not equal, and we have to keep that in mind. All right, so I'm going to stop for a moment and take questions. There's a lot more about this. In fact, I have many slides that I, I can't, I can't, I'm not even going to get into right now. Part of this we teach in the certification programs. Part of this will be, some of these things will be in the briefings that we're going to be doing with you. But let me just take a moment and let you ask questions uh, about your own testing. Let us know how we can help you right now with answers that might uh, make a difference. So go ahead, fire a question at us. Someone said off the topic, but what are some of those sites that show you how your page appears in different browsers? We can try to help you with that. Jimmy, what's one of the sites we use? Um, one of the sites uh, is browsercam.com. Okay. R-O-U-S-E-R-C-A-M. Uh, I haven't used that recently. Um, a lot of times what we'll do uh, is take a look at your Google Analytics and your, com your top combinations. And if it's not, you know, if you don't have a combination of operating system and browser uh, that's at least, let's say, you know, a couple percent, a lot of times, depending on what those are, they're less than a couple percent, we'll either say, okay, is it worth our time to actually optimize for these combinations, or do we just focus on the big stuff? And so we'll get everything above that typically on our own. And so we have a bunch of different browsers, and you, know, you can change the resolution on your monitor and get, you know, quite a few of them you can do yourself. All the big-time main ones you can get yourself, all the more detailed ones, services like BrowserCam are really, really good and, and really inexpensive. I think the last time I used them, it was like $10 for an all-day uh, all day use of their site. And you could, in, in a day, you could run 20 sites through the thing and get, I think it's about, I think they'll do over 100 combinations, including resolution. So they'll do operating system, browser, and screen resolution, 800 by 600, uh, 1024 by 768, the whole deal, and, uh, and provide you with the screenshots. And it's not a perfect service, but gosh darn it, it's really it's really handy. Well, uh, now one point just for any of you that aren't sure, we Marketing Pyramids has no advertisers, and we're not affiliates of anybody. So like this that we're talking about. So uh, when Jimmy brings up a, a distinct company like that, I just need to make an editorial disclaimer just so that you all know we don't benefit anything by by bringing up these people, and they have no idea that we just mentioned them either. So um, just so you know. Now, there are some other questions coming in, and, and one, of the, one of just a comment from Ryan who says, um, uh, it, it, he says it's scary, that's his quote here, how folks rely on tools but never test the tools. You do need to test your tools, guys. And you can come away from this call almost feeling insecure and throw up your hands and say, look, I'm, it's just too hard to conduct a valid test, and I don't know if it's even worth it. Believe me, it's worth it, and yes, you can conduct a valid test. And frankly, if you just identify these four validity effects and watch for them, you can you can do fine. And, and if you're still insecure, get certified. This isn't a commercial. Uh, this We don't. This uh, briefing, we do these two or twice a month. We don't charge for them, and we don't sell products in them. But I can tell you, just as a matter of, I, I, I think with just confidence, with, at the risk of sounding like I'm selling something, get certified. In seven weeks, you can learn what to do and do it right and do it well. It, 
It's just you've got too much money on the line not to know how to do this well. Uh, here's a, here's a, some other questions. Um, someone asked how many days were measured for each test. And the answer is absolutely variable, and it depends on a calculation regarding how many actions we need to measure. Uh, and that calculation is part of the math formula. We build it into a test protocol and calculate it automatically, but it's so you don't have to do a lot of probability calculations, but you need to know what tools to use if you're going to get good validity. Somebody says, um, uh, somebody said, um, what was the reason discrepancy between week one and week two for the treatment in your initial example? I think I know the answer, but to be very candid with you, at the risk of sounding, uh, well, just just for the sake of being transparent, we're still not sure. We did go on and test and get a significant improvement for them, but we're still trying to understand what went wrong with these tests. And I have to say that sometimes we just don't know. And we want to know, and we're trying, And uh, but the reality is it's a mistake to go on and pretend you do when you don't. You should just, you just, you'll get further if you just admit it. Um, so... Let me see if there's another question I can answer. Yeah, someone's talked about business cycles. It just depends on the length of your business cycle, and that's why there's two ways to run a test. One's in sequence. Try this page for a week. Try that page for a week. That's a sequential single variable test. I've done that. Some cases it's your only only way to go. In some cases it gets a great result. I just was disconnected in the middle of my conversation. I'm not sure if that was a sign or if we just had a technical problem. So I've just moved to a second phone, and uh, so I'll continue. I, I see that you did lose me. I was gone. Somebody's asking about multivariate testing products. There are a number on the market. We're actually in the middle of a lot of testing to see which ones are most effective. We've worked with different ones, and I'm not really prepared to tell you which one to go with yet until I get better data. But I would also suggest that you can do most of what you need with single factorial design, certainly initially. Uh, you've got to be very careful that you don't depend too heavily on a multivariable design because, and I'm not trying to take away from anybody in that business, but you can have some difficulties with your results if you don't understand the limitations and you know how to use it well. There's some free information on our website about how to conduct A-B tests, how to conduct multivariable tests. There's briefings. Go to our site and go to the archives or go to our site and do a search. Listen, there is millions of dollars worth of free research on that site, and they're full reports. They're not, uh, I mean, they're briefings. They tell the information. Get in there and use them. That's what they're for. Um, all right. I, uh, I think I'm going to, uh, I think I'm going to bring things to a close now, and uh, what I'd like to do is simply invite you to take a few moments and let us know if this has been helpful. I've got a large team on the phone. I probably have 20 people on the, on the call right now. I, I'm guessing. Maybe it's 10 people on the call. And we're working hard uh, with our overall staff here of people that are working through the entire process of trying to discover what works. But we really value your suggestions and your comments. Let us know if you found this helpful, and we will 
we will carefully um, monitor your feedback. So use the Q&A feature, if you would, and write to us. And the other thing is tell some friends about us. Uh, we, the, the call is free, but we really just rely on you telling other people about the website and the calls, and hopefully as a community we can all learn together the most effective way to conduct our campaigns. I appreciate your participation today, and I'm going to sign off and then just watch this screen to see your comments as they come in. Thank you so much.